0: It is a delight to be able to stand before you this morning, and I am very thankful that we have such a good audience here this morning. I also want to welcome those who will be listening to this by means of Facebook Live. I know there's a number of people who have planned to listen this morning. We're glad to have you in the audience as well. And this morning we are studying from the book of 2 Corinthians, as Brother Larry just read from chapter 3. And as you and I begin, we realize that the writing of letters was an ancient form of communication. And when I say ancient, many of you say, well, I still write letters today. But more of us today communicate by means of various technology. We, for instance, may pick up the phone and call someone and carry on a conversation with them. Or we may even write emails or send text messages But in doing so, we are still communicating with one another. But letters were a wonderful opportunity, and in fact, the main way that people communicated with one another in biblical times. But like any form of communication, we must be given some care to the way we express ourselves. The Bible is very clear, for instance, in James chapter 1 and verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow to speak. Why would God want us to be slow about what we're saying? Perhaps God wants us to think about what we're going to say. In Proverbs 15, in verse 28, Solomon would say, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. The mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The righteous man is going to think about what he is going to say. He's going to contemplate it in his mind. And in Proverbs 16 and verse 23, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. That is a man who thinks about what he is going to write or say. And then Colossians 4 and verse 6. When writing the Colossians, Paul said, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And thus, as we speak or as we write, whether it is in a letter or whether it is in a message of some sort, you and I ought to think about what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. Putting that back into the context of Second Corinthians, Paul had already written a letter to the Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 2, he explained that the way that letter was written was with tears in his eyes. And that he did not want to write something that would be discouraging, but something that would be uplifting and building them up. With that thought in mind, he comes to chapter 3. And there are three things that we want to observe as we look at our study in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The first one, this is a letter of commendation. We need to look and see what Paul is talking about in verse 1 as he speaks of these letters of commendation. Number 2, in chapter 3 and verse 2, we read about letters of communication. Paul said, you are our epistle. You are our letter, known and read of all men. What does that letter communicate? And then number three, letters of conduct. I remember back as a child, there used to be a portion of our report card that gave a letter grade to how you conducted yourself. And we asked the question, how do we conduct ourselves? Let's begin our study. Let's look at verse 1 in this context specifically. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Now, in the first century, there were letters that were written to and from churches recommending one another. As you think about that, that really makes good sense. Here is a brother in this congregation. He's going to be moving a long way away, and he's going to be placing his membership or fellowshipping with that other congregation, and there needed to be some sort of communication between them. Some commendation, if you will. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. I'm going to point to verse 27, but let me for a moment give you the context leading up to this verse. Paul had established the church in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla were there in that congregation. There was a man by the name of Apollos who had arrived who was a very eloquent man mighty in the scriptures, but he knew only the baptism of John. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside privately and gave him instruction so that he would know the word of God more fully, accurately, carefully. And then when you see Apollos wanting to leave, in verse 27 we read, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. If you will observe, the brethren at Ephesus wrote to the brethren of Achaia, which is the church at Corinth, and said, here comes Apollos. He's a good man, he's a faithful man, and he teaches the truth. In Romans 16, in verse 1, there was a servant who was in the church in Sincrea. In fact, a, a very sweet, precious sister in the Lord. And so Paul would write, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant in the church in Sincrea." She evidently was going to make some sort of journey to Rome and Paul is commending her. Colossians 4 and verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions if he comes to welcome him. You might notice this is the same Mark, who when Paul and Barnabas were on that first missionary journey, turned and went back and did not go with them to the work. Now Mark is very useful and Paul writes to receive Mark to the Colossians. It's great because church leaders can know who is faithful and who is a good servant of the Lord. And so if you are ready to move to another city or to another place and you would go to the elders and say, would you write a letter of commendation for me so that I can go and work with another congregation of God's people? But as you go back to the context here, Paul says, do we need as some others... Epistles are letters of commendation to you or from you. Now, when you think about that, they knew Paul. He had established the church there at Corinth. He had baptized or taught many of them the gospel message. And they didn't need to have a letter of commendation about Paul. They knew who he was. In fact, I would ask the question... Do people know you well enough to commend you? Or maybe the question that goes with it, is your spiritual life worthy of commendation so that someone could speak the truth about you and say, this is a good brother, this is a good sister, and their lives are worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's move now to verse 2 and look at this letter of communication. Paul said, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And when Paul says here that you are our epistle, the church at Corinth, like individuals, could be read like a letter. That is, they're known and read of all men. And the truth is, churches do develop reputations. Churches do have characters about them that others can see and be able to observe and read just like they're reading a book. They were Paul's letter. You are our epistle. That means that what they were doing reflected upon Paul. You know, those elders who shepherd congregations are those who are noted for the way they shepherd those churches. They are noted for the leadership. Many of you have observed this past couple of weeks how our elders have stepped up and provided guidance and encouragement and leadership so that this congregation could continue to be what God would want us to be. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he explained about how God's foundation is based upon Jesus Christ. And he also said, as a wise master builder, he said, I work to lay that foundation. But then he goes on, if you'll notice in chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so as through fire. Paul said, you can look and see. What a person has done. And many of us who've tried to work through the years in preaching the gospel want to be sure that the people with whom we've worked, that there's been success, that there's been good things that have come from it. If you go to chapter 9, verse 1, Paul will go on to say, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Paul said, are you not the church that I have worked for to try to bring it to be?" What did that church communicate? Paul was concerned about them. You see, these churches develop reputations. For just a moment, I'd like for you to think about some of the churches that are spoken of in the Bible and the reputations that they had developed. When I think about what we're studying on Wednesday evenings, the church at Thessalonica, in chapter 1, he said about them, he says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out. So that we do not need to say anything. You think about that great church at Thessalonica. They're the church that not only preached the gospel in their community. But they took it and sounded it out into the whole world. Not just in Macedonia and Achaia. But everywhere. You go to chapter 4 verse 9. But concerning brotherly love. You have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. The brethren at Thessalonica were evangelistic, they were loving, they were kind, and they were good. In fact, I don't know how you could come into church more than that. And yet, as you continue reading Luke's account in the book of Acts, you get chapter 17 and verse 11, and you read when Paul and Silas left Thessalonica, they arrived in the city of Berea. Luke describes and said, these were more fair-minded. These were more noble in those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were sown. As great as the church at Thessalonica was, the reception of the gospel in Berea was even more Impressive. Churches do develop reputations. For just a moment, think with me about the seven churches of Asia. I just want to touch each one of these and see the kind of communication that these letters spoke about these churches. To the church at Ephesus, he said, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In reading that, It is forever written in Scripture. The church at Ephesus left their first love. They weren't fully, 100% devoted to the Lord. Oh yes, they were doing good things, but their devotion was simply not there. Or to the church in Smyrna, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Many people have struggled through poverty. struggled not having... Even enough food to eat, enough clothes to wear, or even a nice comfortable place in which to live. And yet those people's lives have been marked by their love and devotion to the Lord. I think about good people like Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that though he was poor, yet he opened his eyes in paradise. The church at Smyrna... Was a church that was poor financially, but they were rich spiritually. Or think about the church in Pergamos. He said, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. We're talking about a city where Satan had such powerful influence that there was a, a tremendous struggle for those who were Christians, where Satan's throne is. To the church at Thyatira. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. Here you have a church where they are permitting, allowing a woman to teach people to commit fornication. Can you imagine that? And yet that's what that church is known for. To the church at Sardis, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. The Lord said you have a reputation that's not deserving. And to the church at Philadelphia, I know your works. I know you have set before you an open door and no one can shut. Churches with opportunities. The church at Philadelphia had one. And then finally, the church at Laodicea. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The lukewarm church. We ask the question then, as you talk about Paul saying, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. What would people say about the Lord's church here? We are readable and people know who we are by what we do. And that leads me to the third part of our lesson. And that is letters of conduct. Let's look at verse three in this context. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is, of the heart. Now, the church was an epistle of Christ. Or a letter of Christ. And we ask the question, what does the church of Christ Letter say. And it's all because of our conduct. The way you and I, as Christians, members of the body of Christ, conduct ourselves in this world. And we would contrast what people would have read on the tablets of stone, think the Ten Commandments, in contrast to what is written. On the flesh, that is the heart, which reflects the will of God in our human lives. You've got the stone and you've got the the flesh. And you've got what was written there. And what are people reading here? What is the conduct that God expects of us? And our conduct says a lot about our faith. People will look at the conduct of the members of the church Of Christ and say either they're walking with God or they're not walking with God. As I think about conduct. I want you to listen to what Peter writes. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12. He said have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers. They may by your good works which they observe glorify God. In the day of visitation, we live in a world that has a lot of negativity in it. We live in a world where there's a lot of people criticizing the church. We ought to live so that they can't justly criticize us. I think about the opportunities that have been afforded us over the last few weeks. You remember just a few weeks ago, the tornadoes that through Putnam County. What did the Lord's church do? It arose to the occasion and it not only financially but physically helped a number of people and it said a lot about who we are and what we are. Many people look at the current virus situation and see only the negativity in it but there's a lot of potential for positive things for the Lord's church. Where well, we can look not only at our brethren, but those in our community, our neighbors and say, are you in need? What can we do for you? And once people know that we care about them physically, they will also know that we care about them spiritually. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, being always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks the reason of hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. People should be able to see us even under stress. To say the right thing and to do the right thing. In James 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. We show who we are by what we do and by our conduct. Paul wrote the Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come or and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, I want people to see you standing solid as one. You remember what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Or as Paul wrote the Ephesians in chapter 4. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. People seeing us striving together. Letting our conduct show that we are members of the body of Christ. Matthew 5, verse 16, is the Lord in the great Sermon on the Mount expresses it, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ultimately, we as the Lord's people, our conduct will say whether or not we are an epistle of Christ. You know, the reality is that some people will only see the truth In our lives, before they're able to see it in Scripture. There's a poem I'm sure many of you have heard years ago, written by Wallace E. Norwood, called The Gospel According to You. That poem goes like There's a sweet old story translated for men, but writ in the long, long ago The Gospel According to Mark, Luke, and John of Christ and His Mission Below. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the deeds you do, by the words you say. Men will read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Men read and admire the gospel of Christ with its love so unfailing and true. But what do they say and what do they think of the gospel according to you? Unselfish mirrors in every scene, love blossoms on every sod, and back from its vision the heart comes to tell the wonderful goodness of God. You are writing a letter each day, a letter to men. Take care what you are writing is true. Tis the only gospel that some men will read, that gospel according to you. That poem I think reflects In reality, what many of us are doing, our conduct is the gospel that many people are reading and many people are listening to. It's been often said, you don't judge a book by its cover. But you know, that's sort of the truth that often we are judged that way. But we've got to make sure that when people do read our lives and they see who we really are, that we're reflecting God's people There's a record of our deeds recorded before God who's actually going to be the honest judge. And the letter of our lives, what will it say? In Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. You see, God has a book, a letter, if you will, of our lives. And what does it say? In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. What would your life say this morning? Perhaps you've not even started the letter. Quite frequently I will decide I want to write someone something and my greatest challenge is starting it. But once I start I realize now I I can complete it. Some of you have not started your letter of a Christian life. This morning, everything is prepared for you. There's a baptistry behind me. There's garments that are prepared. And everything is ready. You want to become a Christian? We'll assist you in doing that this morning. And if there's someone in the audience, maybe that's listening by means of Facebook or other means, we want you to know that we're not closed for people becoming members of the Lord's Church. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized for the remission of your sins, we see that in so many passages in the accounts of conversion, we'd love to assist you in becoming a child of God. The reality is, is that sometimes we make mistakes. And what a wonderful thought. That God can blot out those things that are written there against us. What a wonderful privilege to say that that God has erased the mistakes I made. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need to respond to the gospel invitation this morning, we're going to sing the song, I Bring My Sins to Thee. Would you come as together we stand and sing.